1: Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your podcast host, Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is Josh Plave. Josh is from Wall2Maine. He can be found at walltomain.com. Josh is going to be talking about how you can invest in real estate directly with your Roth IRA, um, through your retirement accounts as well, and how you can actually have a lot more control over your retirement account than you were told by your financial advisor or um, anyone who handles your retirement accounts. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Please take a quick minute to head over to Apple Podcast. give us a five-star rating, write us a review. It does help the show out tremendously. Enjoy the episode. All right, on today's show, we have Josh Plave as our guest. Josh, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, Dante. Uh, I, uh, I essentially specialize in helping passive investors Use their retirement accounts and understand how they can use their retirement accounts. Um, you know, I, a lot of folks uh, ask me why, as a 30 year old, I know a lot about a retirement account. Uh, I started actually when I was 16 years old. Um, my mother and my grandfather were both uh, CPAs, so they kind of introduced me. To the world of you know thinking about the future and and really setting yourself up uh, down the line, and right. so I opened up my first Roth IRA when I was 16 years old and, and got started that way. So it's been a long journey since then.
1: Awesome, I love that. Um, so talk to us a little bit before, like when you were 16, what the actions you took were to kind of get started and then work your way into how that re- relates to where you are real estate wise.
0: Sure, uh, there's there's not a ton to it. I. I I like to kind of reference it though because I did then what I still believe you should do. I was 16 years old and I, you know, I invested in what I knew. Uh, I had a couple thousand dollars from when I was a camp counselor that summer, and so what I did was I was really into airplanes at the time, so I uh, I invested in aerospace and defense mutual funds. Okay. And so it did very well for the next uh, you know 15 years and. Um, you know, I've, I've invested beyond that. But it, that first initial investment kind of stuck in my mind, because I truly believe you should really invest in what you know, not something speculative. I love so that. really, you know, generate, you know, the the understanding of what you're getting involved. in.
1: Yeah, like you look at these kids today with like Robin Hood or these free brokerage trading apps, and they're like, oh, I want to buy Tesla, I want to buy Apple, you know, all the big fang stocks or whatever. Yeah. But something you said there that I think people should really take away from was even at a young age, you invested in something you knew something you actually had interest in. So I like that.
0: Yeah, understand the fun- fundamentals behind things, and don't yep. just rely on you know your 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 friend who the what's popular. Friend. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, so you were you're kind of dabbling in that, and then what happened next?
0: Yeah, so moving from there, uh, I had mentioned that my mother and my grandfather were both CPAs, and unfortunately, a few years later, they actually both passed away. Mm. And so what that ended up doing was it left me with the retirement packages of a baby boomer and a member of the greatest generation. And so it wasn't a life-changing amount. I, I don't have to not work forever, but I needed to make sure that I was going to preserve their uh, their legacy and what they had worked for for their entire lives and make sure I wasn't just going to kind of blow it up uh, on the first uh, you know thing that looked good that came across. Right. So um, I basically took a look at what I had and then went forward and understood what I could potentially do with it. And I found out, that you can self-direct a retirement account, you can actually invest in things beyond stocks and bonds. And so I started kind of investigating real estate because I know I always wanted to get involved in real estate and um, from there, it kind of gave me the opportunity to really pivot and figure out where I wanted to jump into real estate. Uh, I did all the podcasts, the webinars, the meetups, you know, books, everything that you do to get educated and eventually landed on multifamily, which I kind of jumped into straight away. Um, And I knew it was going to take a little bit of time to get multifamily up and going. So in the meantime, uh, I have been, and I still do uh, utilize private money lending as well to kind of facilitate some cash flow
1: while, uh, you know, I'm waiting in between deals. Awesome. I love that. So something I do is I host like monthly meetups every month. So that way I can convert these active investors into passive investors. And we have about 30 to 40 people per month. And so I actually about Mm, the last meetup, I believe I did like a full blown presentation on what syndication is and how we use it in our company and our firm. And I actually ended off the presentation with, you know, you can lend through your retirement account, you know, through a self-directed IRA, you know, something of that nature. And everyone was just like blown away. People, you know, came up to me after like, I didn't know I could do that. Like, I thought I had to, you know, work with a financial advisor and only put it in the stock market or mutual funds or ETFs. And I was like, no, you can control your investment a lot more than you think. And you can put it in these, you know, these uh, tax benefited investments. So I thought that was pretty cool. So would would you say that correlates a lot with what you do and what you educate on? Oh, 100%.
0: I mean, that was me, uh, you know, five years ago, I was I, I was unaware of it. And so um i like to say you know the the two main sources of people's uh, wealth in their lives number 1 is their house most mm-hmm. of their equities in their house and number 2 is a retirement account most people have more in their retirement account than they do in actual cash and so right. it's a great vehicle to tap into so much of the education um, surrounding retirement accounts is from folks who are benefiting from selling you products whether it's an actual account or whether it's, uh, you know, the the brokerage fees or the transactional fees. And so you get a lot of skewed um, information, I could say. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of why I established my company, Wall to Main, because I wanted to come at it from an actual investor perspective, educate folks on what is you know out there and available to them because it kind of took me two to three years to gather all of these pieces from across the internet and really study it and go to meetups and, and see presentations and figure out bits and pieces. And I've kind of moved it all into one place so that people have a good kind of understanding of all the, the broad perspective of everything they have available to them.
1: Yeah, because there's there's a lot to it and people just don't really understand. So something like that you'll see, you know, with stocks, they'll tell you, you know, what the if, if you're investing in the last whatever ETF you're investing in, they'll show you the last 10 historical years that that um, has produced. And a lot of times they leave out the fees or they say, you know, it's a point whatever brokerage fee. And that directly affects your returns. But when you're looking at real estate or syndications, those projections are with the fees, acquisition, disposition, refinancing, all those fees are accounted for and it shows you the actual return. Um, Real quick, Josh, tell us where you're at today, what you're doing that's real estate related, um, just so people can kind of understand and know where you're at and how you know so much about what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I currently, day to day, I actively syndicate opportunities. I syndicate multifamily deals. We look at um, as a general partner, correct? As a general partner, yes. Okay. Uh, and we we look for deals across the the Sun Belt, across the Southeast. You know, somewhere between 100 and 250 units, pretty large scale properties. Uh, looking for value add opportunities that that really give our our investors a, a chance to capitalize on something that's earning forced appreciation where we really control the investment and we're running a business, not just reliant on, you know, nearby comps or, or whatever that single family uh, tends to rely on. So um, that's pretty much what I do day to day. I work with partners to identify properties, uh, to put them under due diligence and, and take a look at, you know, if it's, if it's the right investment, right move for our investors. Um, in the meantime, I also passively my invest myself into multifamily properties. And as I mentioned, I utilize uh, private
1: money lending as well. Awesome, I love that. And so, the way I kind of want to segment this is, I want to talk about Ubit because I know what you've done with the Ubit Ubit calculator, but I also want to talk about the benefits of investing in real estate versus stocks. So, w- which one do you want to start with? I'll let you take the rein on that one.
0: Uh, let's let's go with like the the beginning and transition over into. Okay. All right, take it away. All right. So uh, essentially, the the nice thing about a you may have heard of a self-directed retirement account, like a self-directed IRA. It's the same thing as an IRA. They're literally the exact same thing. It's a naming misnomer. You just have to not have your account at like a Schwab or a Vanguard. You know, these big custodians, these big banks that we all have our accounts at, it needs to move over to a, uh, a typical um, an atypical custodian, something that you probably haven't heard of or, or something. So um, right. personally, as a an investor myself, and someone who doesn't really benefit from selling people accounts or anything, I tend to advocate for checkbook control accounts. There's really two types. There's custodian control and there's uh, there's checkbook control. And so usually you'll move your money over to the custodian and that's the first step. Um, that's what a custodian account is. And then you can kind of you know go and invest in deals from there with a checkbook account i like to add a second layer which actually it may add a little complexity but it makes things a lot simpler in your day-to-day so at the same time that you've opened up a custodian account uh the company that you you know tap to help you out they they actually are opening up an llc at the same time Mm. and so the custodian account is investing all the funds over into this new llc and with this llc you're now the manager and so you can actually open up a checking account and so you can freewheel from there. You don't have to to send in paperwork to the custodian, get their approval. I've seen people actually not be able to invest in opportunities because it took three to four weeks to get the the custodian's approval. So they missed the funds due date. Um, So I really like to advocate for checkbook because the costs generally are way cheaper. It's a lot cheaper to maintain month to month. And so your your ongoing expenses are something like 25 or $35, whatever the wire fee is. Uh, I like to joke that you can find a deal at breakfast and fund it by lunch. Yeah, uh, but it really <laughs> simplifies your life.
1: Now, why do people not talk about the checkbook utilization as often? Is it just because it's something that's a little bit more complex, so to speak, to set up? It takes a little uh, more. Effort. It. This is going to sound cynical, but most of the education that is done in the space
0: is done by custodians who have uh, a, a, a pawn in the game. They have a reason to to be pitching opportunity or their accounts to you and so they typically will educate you enough to get you excited and really interested in opening an account but they won't really tell you the full picture of everything available to you um and so it took me a while to figure out that i actually had checkbook control available to me and really anybody does there's no reason to to not look into it and see
1: if it's right fit for you and the checkbook uh utilization lets you bypass the custodian correct
0: exactly i mean the money is still going to have to flow through a custodian but there, you basically tell the custodian, "Hey, my only investment is this LLC," and then you go off and you can actually manage that LLC yourself. And you okay. still have the same concerns and protections surrounding everything, which we should talk on, uh, talk about. But uh, you know, you need to make sure that you're investing in non-prohibited, authorized transactions that the IRS is okay with. And so you have the same considerations, but you're the one calling the shots, and you don't have to ask, you know, somebody for permission and have them hold your hand.
1: That's uh, that's game changing because like you said, you know, you've probably seen investors lose or not, Probably you have, you said, seen investors lose out and invest in opportunities because it took too long to get the funds. Um, so that's crazy. So basically I can have $200,000 in this checking account through my self-directed IRA, LLC. And if, you know, Josh, you come to me and you're like, hey, you know, I have this great opportunity, but, you know, we're, we're closing the deal this afternoon. Would you like to grab a spot? You know, I can do it that quickly.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you can do it instantaneously. It, it really um, <laughs> The first deal I actually ever did, I didn't realize how quickly it was going to happen. So I put in the request before I went skiing in the morning and I thought it would take like a day or two. And I ended up getting a call while I was on the ski slope. So I closed my first deal while I was skiing at Brecker Ridge.
1: See, see guys, that's passive investing right there. He's investing well going down a hill. <laughs> yep. I like it. Okay. so So we got the checkbook control basically over what's the next part people should know about?
0: Yeah, so you sh- the next part you should really take a look at is what you can and can't do. And so you can really invest in anything you want. Um, there's three restrictions: you can't invest in collectibles like art, jewelry, or cars. Um, you can't invest in life insurance or shares in S corporations. If you didn't plan on doing any of that, you're good to go. I've I've seen people. Uh, you can you can do all kinds of real estate. You can do cryptocurrency. You can do gold. Anything you want. Um, and so you need to then think about what types of investment uh type of investing you're doing And, and since i specialize in real estate i'm going to touch on that so essentially i like to think of your retirement account like it's a completely different person so you really and these two people cannot interact at all so you can't benefit from your retirement accounts investments and then your retirement account can't benefit from you. So what I mean by this is I can't go and buy a flip property and then go inside of it myself and hammer some nails and put in what's called sweat equity because my retirement account is then benefiting for me and that's prohibited. Um, Also, I cannot buy with my retirement account a rental property or even an Airbnb and rent it to myself or even stay in it for free. Uh, That's also a prohibited transaction. So these are called disqualified people. Um, You yourself are the first disqualified person and there's a few others you need to think of uh, and make sure that you're not really interacting with when you're using your retirement account. And those include your linear ascendance uh, like your parents and your grandparents, and then your linear descendants, like your children and your grandchildren. And unfortunately, this also includes spouses at any level, so in-laws as mm-hmm. well as your own husband or wife. Um, so that's a little tricky. If, if your wife wants to get involved in an opportunity uh, passively, you can't actually get involved
1: in it if you're using a your retirement account as well. So here's two questions for you. First one is you said you cannot use it to buy a rental and occupy it. So can I go buy a duplex with this and have a property manager manage it and use it as part of my portfolio or is that not allowed, even though I never stay there?
0: Absolutely. As long as you're not actually spending a night at the property, you can totally buy single family homes and, and, you know, rent them out as a landlord. Can I manage them, or do I have to have property manager managing them? You can manage them. You can't collect any kind of property management fee or any sort of active income. All income within a retirement account needs Stays to be them. passive. Um, it needs to be either rental income, capital gains, interest income. You can't gain any kind of, and this is why you can't invest with you know your retirement account in your own. Multi-family opportunity. If you're, you know, a general partner,
1: right? Because you're earning asset management, you're earning acquisition disposition. So or just your thirty percent, twenty percent ownership in the deal. Yeah. So now, something else you said was interesting was, or I want to make sure I understand this because I'm asking generally for myself, not even for the listeners. Um, vacation homes. So you couldn't use your retirement account to buy a vacation home, and then you couldn't stay in it. Correct right? Because you're,
0: you're benefiting directly from what your retirement account is doing. And so you can certainly own Airbnbs and you can own short-term lease uh, places, but you can't go and stay and, and
1: benefit from them, unfortunately. Mm, interesting. And okay. then
0: as well as, you know, if, if you had an Airbnb, your parents couldn't go stay at them either uh, because they would be benefiting and they're also disqualified people. But oddly enough, your brothers and sisters could, uh, they're not on the same list, anyone who's kind of sideways. So your aunts, uncles, brothers and sisters, they're all okay. And you can kind of interact with them. So interesting. It's bizarre. Um, But if you recall, I kind of I mentioned that you need to think of your retirement account, like it's a totally different person. The nice thing is all of these disqualified people, their retirement accounts are completely different people as well. Mm. So you can actually both get involved in the same opportunity. If you're using your retirement accounts on both sides, Uh, this is a method that I use with my family. So we actually all pool our retirement accounts together and we're able to invest all at once. So we have a holding company. And so if there's a minimum investment of $75,000, me and my two sisters, we can get involved in the deal at a much lower individual layer, 25,000 each, I can involve my dad. um, As long as we're only using retirement funds,
1: that's the key. That that's awesome. These, you know, these are great, great tools to utilize. And again, guys, you're not going to have your financial advisor tell you about these because there's no way they can benefit from this. Um, The only thing that's going to benefit from it is yourself and how you're managing your money and how you're investing it. So Josh, you're doing great so far. I love all the information you're giving us. So we, we, you know, we started off and now we're at what disqualifies you. What's next? What should people know about these?
0: yeah so as i mentioned um all income needs to be passive which is honestly why i i chose to direct most of my investments into multifamily, family uh, because multifamily as a par- limited partner you're earning purely passive income and so the next thing that you need to think about is actually um, the two different types of accounts because they differ uh, in terms of the tax implications and your exposure uh, most of us view retirement accounts as purely Uh, tax-free vehicles. And so that's just unfortunately not the case when you're investing in something like multifamily. Um, The two types of accounts are a self-directed IRA and a solo 401k. A solo 401k is an account that you sponsor as a self-employed person. And so if you can show self-employed income, you can actually roll over a traditional IRA, uh, a current 401k, and you can move that over into a solo 401k. And that has still zero tax exposure. You're totally... Uh, free. Um, there, When you're investing with a uh, self-directed IRA, this is for people who either don't have self-employment income or if they have a Roth IRA or an inherited IRA, those are all locked into the IRA format. And so you have to stay with a self-directed IRA. That's the bucket I'm in. I have only Roth and inherited. And so I have to deal with the tax implication. And so what happens is when you're buying into a, a, a property that is actually utilizing leverage, this is when it comes up. So the theory is when you're using an IRA, you are utilizing tax deferred dollars. It's supposed to incentivize you to in, invest for your future self. And so if you, let's say, buy a property with a 25% down payment, and it doesn't matter if it's small, large, if you're the only person involved or you're, there's a 100 of you, as long as there's leverage involved, um, 25% of that investment is actually going to be just your equity. And you're never going to face taxes on the 25% of the income that comes in. But if you're bringing in 75% leverage from an outside source, that outside source is non-tax deferred dollars. It is from the bank. It's actually it's not, you know, IRA dollars and so you have to pay a tax on 75% of the income that comes into that property. Mm-hmm. Now, the nice thing is you can actually offset this because you can utilize the 75% portion of depreciation and operating expenses and interest expenses. And so that helps to kind of offset things from a, uh, you know, a, a tax perspective. The income that you earn is called unrelated debt financed income, UDFI. And then, when you're able, when you end up having to pay the tax, it's unrelated business income tax, UBIT. And so, a lot of folks, uh, you might hear this, they talk about uh, UBIT and they say you really shouldn't invest your self directed IRA into a leveraged uh, investment because UBIT kind of is prohibitive and it ends up squashing your returns. And so uh, what I ended up doing is I built a UBIT calculator, I think it's its first of its kind, because I wanted some um, I, I A, wanted some straightforward answers in terms of how bad UBIT is. And B, I wanted to be able to get involved in deals that were best aligned to minimize my UBIT impact. Um, so when I built it, I've been able to do all kinds of case studies and figure out exactly what types of investments are perfectly aligned for a self directed IRA. So what type of investments are perfectly aligned for self directory <laughs> Glad you asked. Um, so what I've found is the nice thing is because you're banking a lot of losses in the first few years, you actually, for most properties, don't have to pay any UBIT for the first three to four years on your cash flow. You know, most, most multifamily properties, they they are a five-year hold. And so for- Cost the segregation cash-
1: upfront, all that good stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I should mention, uh, self-directed IRAs actually can't make use of uh, cost segregation studies or any accelerated depreciation. They can only use the cell, the, um, the, thing, the 27 and a half, what is it called? The, the regular line. depreciation. Yeah, regular depreciation. So they can only make use of straight line.
1: Um, but luckily, there. I mean, it's, there's still that benefit there. Wow. Um, so that's huge. So real quick, I, I don't want to like fly right over this. No, so yeah. self-directed IRAs cannot utilize the benefit of a cost segregation, correct? Right. What about solo 401Ks or any of those? Can they or also not?
0: Well, solo 401Ks, they they don't need it because there's no tax exposure, so they don't actually need the tax benefits. So the nice thing is with a solo 401K, if you've got $10,000 of, of you know um, distributions coming through, you don't actually have to worry about any kind of taxes because the 10,000 hits your
1: account and it stays there and no one cares. So the only time a cost segregation really benefits someone is saying, Hey, you know, I'm Dante, Josh, I'm going to invest with you. Here's a check for $50,000 because I'm giving you straight up cash out of no special accounts. I can utilize the cost segregation. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's usually a cash investor uh, benefit. Okay. So that's something new. You know, I've, I've never heard that before. So that's awesome. So as you were saying, go, go on, I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't no, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so
0: the, the first three to four years, Totally tax-free uh, usually, um, and then the generally the, the largest um, tax burden is on capital gains. So let's say right. in year five the property sells, and um, usually, usually uh, most multifamily opportunities will do something like a two x. They'll they'll aim for you know turning a hundred thousand into two hundred thousand. And so what I've found is that the tax can be somewhere in the range of twenty to thirty thousand dollars on a one hundred thousand dollar return. And so that's, that's a pretty big bill at the end. Oh yeah. Um, But when you annualize it out over the five year holding period, it actually works out to something between a four or a 6% reduction in overall returns. And so if you're looking at maybe 20 year annualized return, 20% annualized returns, uh, you're looking at something like 15%. And so uh, most places that you're investing your retirement account, you're not really going to get sustained 15%. So I still view it as uh, you know, Uh, a a worthwhile investment. And you're not necessarily always going to get 15 or anything like that. But um, you know, the the reduction when you take a look at it, what you're receiving on a year over year basis is not so bad. Um, But then the flip side on that is what types of investments should we look at? What are the right types of deals that can help minimize our UBIT impact? And so it really comes down to one type of investment. Um, I personally try to find opportunities, you know, most whole periods are five years. I try to find opportunities that are value add, where they're coming in, and in year three they're going to refinance, and they're right. going to return a portion of your capital. And so what that does is, a return of capital is not a capital gain; it's not a capital event. There's it's no not a taxable gain. event. It's, tax it's free. not a taxable event. Exactly. So you don't actually have to pay UBIT on it. So if you're investing hundred thousand dollars, and in year three it aims to refinance and return, let's say fifty thousand dollars back to you you can actually go and take that $50,000. It's a new minimum investment in another opportunity, and you can turn and be in a second opportunity faster before you've ever really had to pay you at all. And so that enables you to
1: snowball and build your portfolio faster and faster before you have to realize the tax implications. That's how I always explain to investors too, the nice things about you know passively investing in syndications. it's like you're, It's like a tree growing with branches. Once you get that refinance, you can invest into another, you know, syndication or something of that nature. Let it refinance again and let it refinance. Let your, you know, here comes the sales proceeds. Here comes the sales proceeds. And it's just this, this money keeps growing in these avenues and you can invest it in two different places instead of one with the same amount of money. And so touch on this UBIT again, who is responsible for paying UBIT tax And do you have a a real world scenario that you can kind of lay out just to let people understand more or or not something you can really do unless you have the calculator?
0: Yeah. So I'll I'll touch on the first one. Uh, The UBIT tax is only paid through your IRA uh, through the actual account. And this is kind of a a nice thing because uh, you don't actually have to have any dry powder sitting on the side waiting to have to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, You only pay taxes when there's gains you're never gonna have a situation where you're paying taxes and there were no gains. Um, So it just comes into your account, you leave a little behind
1: and you pay taxes come tax day. Okay. That's a nice opportunity. Right, right, okay, so that makes sense. And then do do you have an example, kind of at a number standpoint of how that looks so people can understand like the impact of UBIT and how much of a numerical value that is, or percentage maybe?
0: Yeah, Uh, on the the property that I um, general partnered, uh, late last year before COVID hit, uh, we were, our returns were about 22%. We're looking at about, a, I think a 5.3%, I believe it was 5.3%, uh, percent reduction in, from UBIT. And so we're still looking at somewhere between 16 and 17% overall returns. Um, it is going to be a hundred thousand dollars. I think about $29,000, uh, tax hit at the end of everything. Um, but that kind of scales up and down, you know, if you, if the returns are less, your tax penalty is going to be less. And if the returns are greater, your tax penalty will be greater, but you're still going to end up taking home a greater percentage. In okay. End.
1: And do you show your investors what their return would look like after UBIT tax for those that are investing through an IRA?
0: Yeah, exactly. I, uh, unfortunately, the, the UBIT calculator is a huge uh, Excel spreadsheet essentially. Uh, and so I, it's the least sexy thing you can imagine. And so I, I can't really provide it out to, to folks, but I do, uh, offer it up to my investors and so every time I present present them with an opportunity I'm able to give them expected returns as well as expected, you know, take home after
1: UBIT taxes. Right after uh, the so taxes figure out exactly what they're getting involved in. That's awesome. Yeah. It, the UBIT tax for self-directed IRAs is kind of like the repre- uh, depreciation recapture for capital gains and 1031s and all that. You don't hear people talk about it too much. You know, everyone talks about depreciation and being able to write off all this uh income from the property as a paper loss, but then no one talks about the not so sexy side or the you know that not having the benefit of having to pay that uh depreciation recapture. UBIT tax is the same thing with self-directed IRAs through syndication. So I, I'm glad you shed light on that because that's a big deal. That's real world. Yeah, yeah. People like as
0: humans, we kind of like to look at all the positives of, of an opportunity and not really Take it the full cycle, the full picture of, of everything you need to think about.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. Um, do you have anything else you want to touch on? Or can we go into the next section of the show? If there's anything else you know we left out, I'd love to hear it.
0: No, that, that really should be about it. Um, if you have any other, there's a couple more, uh, you know, aspects surrounding the accounts and everything. And I've set up kind of a, a learning center on my site. So if you go to walltomain.com, I do have, uh, you know, it's basically a 30 minute series of videos. And if you can dedicate a little bit of time, uh, you'll, you'll figure it out. And honestly, once you have uh, your mind behind it and you're up and running, it's like riding a bike and taking the training wheels off. You really never have to uh, think about it again. It's as simple as operating with a cash account and just understanding a few, you know, little uh, contingencies that you have to look out for.
1: Yeah, I love it. And real quick, before we get into the next section, checkbook control. Who can people go to to get someone that can utilize the checkbook control for them or help them get set up in that?
0: Yeah, so I I work with two companies. Um, My family opened up all of our accounts at a place called Safeguard Advisors. And so they're the ones who will go ahead and open up a custodial account and a different custodian. They're not the custodian. Um, And then they also will They have an attorney who will set up an LLC for you and make sure that you're set up and ready to go with that. Um, The nice thing with them is they are if I like to advise people, I like to suggest safeguard advisors for folks who plan on using their checkbook account for a variety of real estate uh, investments, uh, not just passively investing, because they actually offer, um, you know, in perpetuity they offer c- uh, consulting uh, access, and so you can get advice from them and ask them, hey, this thing I'm thinking about this investment, is this going to be kosher? Is this a prohibited transaction? Is it something that I'm allowed to do? And you can get a feel from them about you know what you can and can't do. So that's really nice. It's it's nice and comforting uh, if you do plan on being just a passive investor, a limited partner in uh, multifamily. I like to offer uh you know the, the the services of Rocket Dollar. Rocket Dollar is a great company that's pretty much all online. It's totally um cheap, it's it's fast, it's easy. Uh they don't offer advisory services, but uh if you're just doing one thing, I think it's a good fit because you know it's you're just kind of staying in your alley and you understand, you know, what you don't really have any questions about what you're doing from a retirement standpoint. Um I actually it's as cheap as the, the account to open up is $360. And then uh monthly fees are like $15. So it keeps your overhead really low. Um, I actually have a discount code if folks are interested in opening up a Rocket Dollar account. It's Good for $50 off. Uh, it's rocket with wall to main. And so if you use that, it, you can open up count for $310 and be on your way.
1: Awesome. I love it. Josh, you should really think about writing a book, just explaining all this. And you know, that way when you know past investors are curious, you can just hand this book and say, listen, here's A to Z, how to do it. Here are the steps and here are the definitions of everything, how it works. I think you'd do phenomenal. But moving on to the next section of the show. Um I call this the curious cues. We ask these questions to everyone we have on the show, and we'll get your answers. Yeah. First question is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to. Uh, my favorite podcast,
0: uh, I would say, when I, I, I the one that had the most impact for me was Michael Blanc's uh, Multifamily podcast. Yep, that lovely. really was the one that that gave me the background of you know stories of what can happen and and what you should look out for.
1: Yeah, he has got great shows. I remember getting started earlier on on him reading his book and just being. That's where I kind of got opened up to syndication. Love that. Speaking of books, favorite book you enjoy listening to or listening to? Favorite book you enjoy reading?
0: <laughs> favorite book? Uh, I I gotta go beyond rich dad poor dad because everybody everyone says. Um, I, I I the one that. I'll keep it on, on the multifamily note. The one that really uh, helped me kind of get my bearings and everything was multifamily millions by Dave Lindall. Yep. Um, that's kind of the the nice compendium of all the information you need to know and and places, you know, a lot of a lot of getting involved in a complex topic like this is not knowing what you don't know. And so he kind of gives you the list of everything you should know, and then you can go from there and, and research it and figure out more if you're not, you know, an expert on X, Y, or Z, you can go and and, and dig more into it.
1: Yeah, that is that's a phenomenal book. I, I actually just read it probably two months ago. I read it on uh, the plane. I went down to fly down to Florida to speak in a mastermind. I brought it with me and I read the whole thing on the plane because it was great. It, it's an older book, like it's not super current, but the information yeah. is still phenomenal. The information is current. It shows how the investment works. And you know something I looked for because doing syndications was if he was going to talk about syndications at all. He mentions the word syndication once in that entire book. He really just focuses on, basically, you're not a property manager, you're not a hands-on landlord. You're, you know, an asset manager is what it comes down to. You're managing the asset. You're not in the business of being a landlord. You're in the business of owning real estate. And I thought that was really good and a great point he got across in that book. Yeah,
0: there's there's no reason that, uh, especially in a multifamily book that's specializing in in how you're going to manage the entire asset, it's not as important to talk about syndication because you have sec attorneys, you have an entire team yep. behind that portion of things on the funding model. There can be another book on funding models. There's a book on operations. There's a yep. book on acquisitions. There's a, there's, there are different topics. And I like that it was kind of separated.
1: Yeah. And he even touches in like the small multifamily stuff, you know, how to buy the four families, the six families by raising capital from one individual, not a hundred individuals. So again, great book, definitely suggest people go out there and uh, read that one. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome?
0: Uh, for me, I, I am an introvert. You know, I got, I, I, I built the UBIT calculator for a reason. I love sitting in Excel. I'm a, I'm a kind of a tech nerd. And so I just like my own, me and my own time. So honestly networking and getting myself out there has been difficult. It's, you know, there's a lot of people who are very extroverted who can make connections uh, and everything. And I never thought that I would actually be someone who was able to capital raise and bring passive investors into opportunities but I found that once I I found my expertise and I found this topic that I actually know quite a bit on and I realized that people actually need to know this, uh, I was actually able to speak on a specific topic and that's the way I've been able to share uh, knowledge with people and I didn't feel like I was some sort of salesman or I was some sort of guy who was trying to convince somebody on something. It, once you get to that opportunity or that point where you really feel like you're, presenting an opportunity for people and you're just giving them information that's the
1: empowering moment where you know that you can help others yeah i love it that's great uh favorite non-real estate related hobby uh
0: i'm gonna go with skiing i moved to denver specifically to go skiing and being outdoors and uh and it's been a, a good six years unfortunately i'm leaving the area because my wife is pregnant but uh I've I really enjoyed. Uh, that's one of my why's. Actually, I should touch on this. I went skiing at Vail one day, and it was the deepest powder day I've ever had. And the pass actually got closed right behind me, and so the mountain was pretty much empty. There was no one who could actually get to the mountain. Uh, and then the next day, there were two to three hour lines at the lift <laughs> line because everybody saw the pictures of how there was four to five feet of snow, and so. I actually keep a picture and a video from that day. Um, someone showed the the maze on the lift line, and I keep a picture of that in my computer because uh, under my file that's called Why. Because one of my reasons for Why is I want to be able to take advantage of opportunities when other folks are not forced to. You know, weekend warriors are yeah. named that for a reason because they have to go out and enjoy life just on Saturday and Sunday. And so every time I go out and I'm able to enjoy a Tuesday or a Thursday, uh, you know, pretty much unencumbered by other folks. It really deeply reminds me of why I'm doing this, and with a kid on the way, I'm sure that's just going to amplify even more.
1: Yeah, well, I love that. Congrats on having the, you know, the kid coming. That's awesome. Exactly. And it, it's so true. Once I started getting into real estate, and I had, you know, free time, I'd go out and do things on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and I'd be like, "Where is everyone? Is this place closed or something?" I'm the only one here, and it's pretty cool. Like you said, the weekend warriors.
0: Yeah, see so and all the seniors at Costco.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Knocking over old ladies to get the last thing. Um, <laughs> Newbie advice. So, what advice would you give to someone who's, you know, looking to get started in real estate, whether it's a passive or active investor?
0: You know, I, I, I think it's it's said pretty often, but I, it's it's it bears worth repeating. I, I uh, just educate yourself. Find out, you know, find out what's available to you, and really drill down into that one topic and figure out how you're going to approach it, what your angle is going to be, and make sure that you're an expert on that one topic because once you master that. You can really take advantage of the best opportunities, and then from there, there's always time. You can pivot into the next available thing, but don't get shiny object syndrome. Focus on one thing. Yeah, get educated and and head down that one path.
1: Yeah, that's great. Where, Josh, where do you see yourself in ten years? Uh,
0: in ten years, you know, honestly, I hope roughly doing the same thing. I, I really, I've come into my own element in the last year or two when I've been able to help others achieve something my two sisters are both teachers and my family actually has a education background and so i i've always been involved in business but i really like this aspect of being able to empower other people Uh, i wouldn't mind you know building some sort of a like you mentioned a book or something but building a series of resources for folks to understand what they can do um, and bringing people along for the ride i you know when i found out about all this I made sure that I invested with my sisters because I didn't want to leave them behind and make sure that they didn't mm. have, they, they couldn't take advantage of the same opportunities. And so it's really no different uh, than that with with my sisters. I want to do that for everybody else and and show them, you know, what they they
1: have in front of them. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. You did a phenomenal job. You You dropped loads of info, loads of knowledge that people can now use and go utilize and, you know, diversify their portfolio portfolio a little bit or, you know, take control of it. Um where can someone get in contact with you if they, you know, want to talk about Ubit, talk about the calculator or, you know, just get educated more by you of what you're doing.
0: Yeah, it's all on on my website walltomain.com. Uh and I'm actually offering currently a free PDF on the top 10 tips and tricks when investing passively with your uh retirement account and so there you can kind of get a feel for you know some sort of unknown tools and and things that I wasn't able to cover here or things that that you know other things that we talked about today that that really are not well known and and really take advantage of things uh, when you you choose to invest with a retirement
1: account. Awesome I love it well again thank you so much for coming on this evening and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for having me Dante.
0: Thanks for listening We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode.
1: For more information or to connect with Dante, visit VictoryCapGroup.com. See you next week.